0: everybody welcome back we have the muscle maven podcast
1: yes yes oh man i am re-recording that i posting it everywhere for the rest of my life i've made it mom i've made it
0: or or the Muslim Maven version okay. of the Muslim right. podcast, asking me questions, asking you questions, Ash. It's really been an honor and a privilege to be able to have these conversations. It's fun, it's exciting, and we get to talk about really cool stuff. So I, I honestly feel very grateful and privileged to have you as a co-host on my. Muscle Intelligence Q and A podcast.
1: I appreciate that so much, and the the feeling is completely mutual. And I'm just going to go ahead and continue to call this the Muscle Maven Q and A podcast. Right. This
0: will be this will be the Muscle Maven episode. Colon asking Ben questions. Okay. So- Tell me what you had for breakfast. I always <laughs> want to ask you, was it avocado and eggs again?
1: Yeah, it was. Is that boring? I'm is
0: that super- you on an off day one of these days.
1: Yeah, I know. That is kind of super boring. But you know what? I'm actually, because I was traveling. I've been traveling a lot. I was in Montana and then I was in New York for a while. Whenever I'm traveling all the time, I just, I really like to kind of reset. And I tend to reset with carnivore because I just find it the easiest, but there's some really ripe avocado in front of me and I just kind of had to do it. And I just, I just know it feels good. I'm going to eat some carbs later after I work out, but I just... It's just such a go-to. And it's so quick. No, I I mean, you know, I'll eat some carbs. But actually, I was actually just having a conversation with a friend whose parents, the friend is trying to convince the parents to eat a more sort of paleo style approach, like basically just less processed carbs. And this is something that I kind of wanted to mention because I've heard it before and it's surprising to me, but I live in a bubble where I enjoy eating meat and I know not everyone does. But I feel like older folks, and by older I mean basically maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, have a harder time with protein in the morning. And I don't know if that's like a mental block or if it's actually physiological.
0: So, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot actually. So, it's actually physiological, right? So, we know that your body's ability to produce hydrochloric acid decreases as we age. So, this is also why I think, and this is my theory, I don't know that if anybody has proven this, but This is also why I think that gluten impacts some people more than others. So, gluten is a protein and and if undigested gluten gets into the blood through the the gut wall, then you get – oftentimes, you get these responses, right? You get these inflammatory responses of the joint pain or the whatever, brain fog. But if it gets digested correctly, I think it's not so much of a problem. And and that's, I think, where the gap lies is as you age or as your gut health diminishes, your your body's – you know the, the gut wall doesn't produce as much HCl. It doesn't break down proteins as well. So if I'm not breaking down gluten, it gets into my body. It's a problem. Whereas some people can can eat gluten and they're fine. And I think it has to be dependent very much on on the integrity of the gut lining and its ability to produce hydrochloric acid. So, you know, if you're someone who doesn't respond really well to gluten, could just be an overall gut health thing. And then as as I said, as we age, there's also this consideration. We know the gut wall produces less HCl, so. Likely, the likely the ability to break down protein gets worse. So people have you know gas and digestion and problems processing it. So you know how to improve your HCL would kind of be the next step. There you can support it supplementally. Or there's probably some some gut health protocols out there that I, I'm not an expert on that would talk about, you know, here's some protocols to improve the HCL production. And I would think taking a break from meat would be a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's one day a week, maybe it's a few hours, maybe it's some fasting. Just to kind of let the, the gut wall replenish itself. I you mean, know, you see people as they age getting these big rounded bellies. Well, that's to do obviously with a number of things, right? So it's, it's the visceral fat accumulation, but it's also the undigested food that sits in your colon. So, you know, improving HCL production is key. All
1: right. That's interesting. I actually hadn't considered it because my thought was always just like for these older folks who maybe have some blood sugar issues and definitely have some health issues and weight issues. And they're eating like cereal and stuff every morning. And it's like, come on, guys, like, it's super easy. Just just eat an egg. Just eat an egg or two or like a hard boiled egg. Like, is that, do you think that's an okay option? Or like, what should we be telling some of these, some of that older generation on how they should approach breakfast, especially if they're not willing to explore fasting right away?
0: Well, improving gut health, step one, right? But yeah. I mean, certainly protein is always going to be better than carbohydrates for breakfast, unless you know you're going to have a hard workout right after. But even then, it's probably not necessary, you know. So yeah, finding a way to get some protein and eggs is obviously awesome and you know, even if it's like two yolks rather than like the whole egg Hey, I don't want to eat the whole egg. Let's just, you yeah, have two yolks and throw the whites away. And like the funny bodybuilders probably think I'm being blasphemous now. Like, you know, I, I don't know how many bodybuilders have thrown away the yolks myself included, but <sighs> I think reversing it now realizing the benefits of the yolks and, and zero concern yeah. about cholesterol, which is, you know, Hopefully, people realize that cholesterol is massively misunderstood. Actually, one of the presenters at the Health Optimization Summit did a really good job of explaining how that works. I'm hoping to get him on the podcast soon. But yeah, so get some, get some proteins in. Get something. Get some fats in. It doesn't have to be a massive amount, but something. And nuts is not a good idea. It's got to be something that comes from an animal.
1: Speaking of that, because this is kind of timely news, have you seen this post making the rounds all over social media about the new red meat study that shows that there is actually no need to not eat red meat and that it's good for you? And we're all like, "Yeah, guys we know," but
0: we're surprised, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. But it's huge. I mean, it's it's making the rounds. So, but again, is it making the rounds just with the people who are paying attention to this stuff, or do you think that
0: New York Times article wasn't it?
1: I'm trying to look now. Time. I see it like hey, Rob Wolf posted, so, like everybody posted I don't so
0: know so why. Here's, I mean. here's why that's out. Why do you think that's out? Because New York Times is trying to capitalize on publicity around the vegan movie. And rather than going, hey, veganism is right. the best and jumping in the bandwagon and everybody going, oh, yeah, I already know that they're going to throw something out there that's the controversy right this comical vegan movie that's out with arnold and james cameron that people are getting behind it like oh my goodness this is such an amazing discovery that veganism can maintain performance and health it can't like don't kid yourself right like i'm not against being being a vegan if that's what you think is good for you morally but it's not a healthy choice like i mean you know maybe some very small subset of the population can rationalize that based on their genetics but as a human being, you're meant to be an omnivore, you're meant to consume some type of animal products. Mm -hmm. And the only explanation for me is if it's moral.
1: Yeah, I guess I just think back to sort of this similar sort of cycle that happened when some studies came out that were like, Surprise, actually, fat's good for you. And like that whole kind of 50 year campaign to get rid of all fat and food and just replace it with chemicals and sugar was actually a bad idea. And it still has taken years and years and years for that information to start to reach the mainstream. And it still hasn't completely, right? Like there's still tons of fat free things and people who are scared to eat dietary fat and all of these things. So I guess I'm just skeptical when stuff like this for comes sure. out. I'm like, great, like the people who already know this will share it and reshare it. But like, a, people who need to hear it? Are they going to hear it? I don't know.
0: I think there's still confusion, right? And even at a high level, there's confusion because people associate fat intake with cholesterol intake, right? Yeah. So if I take in a bunch of fat, is my cholesterol going to go up? And the answer is yes, it will, but not because of it being a bad thing, right? So just people have to understand how all these things interact and how they work. So, cholesterol is not a bad thing. Cholesterol is a carrier, right? So, it's just an indication of having higher triglycerides. Then you have to ask yourself, well, why are my triglycerides higher, right? Am my triglycerides high because I'm eating a bunch of sugar and my body's dumping the saturated fat back into my bloodstream? You have to think about how that stuff works. So, just the ignorance at all levels, right? Even to the highest level, nobody yet is explaining it. And it takes 20 years for this stuff to finally make its way down to the younger generation. It's like, you know, my dad's diabetic and overweight doesn't move. And I'm like, hey, man, all you got to do is a ketogenic diet, he'll do it for three days and then it's gone, right? It's like, ah, I decided to go and have some whatever, sugar. Mm-hmm. So, it's just, they just are of the belief of like, I can't do that. It's not healthy for me because then my cholesterol is going to go up, my triglycerides are going to go up. And, and in their mind, it's a linear relationship. You know, if I eat more fat, my fat will go up. They don't understand how it works. Right.
1: It's also, I think, important to remember or to know that cholesterol actually is crucial to our health because our brains are made of cholesterol. Like we need cholesterol for our brain to function. And that's one of your big things, right? Is brain function and optimal brain function. So, I mean, we need to have, it's, it's about sourcing it. It's about getting the right stuff. It's about figuring out the sort of Specific dietary requirements that you have, but to say that cholesterol, we've, we've turned it into a bad word when it's not. It's actually a very important part of the diet.
0: Yeah. So, all it is basically is so the way that I understand it, and like I can say I'm not an expert, is when there's fat present in your blood. Cholesterol is a carrier protein that carries the fat where, where it needs to go. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? And I think people need to understand that. And again, like I said, I'm going to have somebody on the podcast who I have my eye on and I'm going to get him on to explain like, hey, this is how this stuff actually works in the most simple way possibly, the best explanation I've come across yet. But again, I don't want to speak at a turn and... and act like I'm an expert because I'm certainly not. But we just know that having high levels of cholesterol is not necessarily an indication of anything bad. It could just be like, hey, if you're on a ketogenic diet, your cholesterol is going to go up. It's not necessarily that you have cholesterol that's bad. It's the type of cholesterol that seems to be more correlated with negative health scenarios. Got
1: it. Okay, I have a quick question that came through social media that is sort of indirectly related to food, so that's going to be my my segue, but I'm, I'm interested in this because I've mentioned to you before, we've talked on the podcast about pumps and getting pumps and the importance of pumps in the gym, right? And this question is from someone who's asking why they cannot get a pump in the gym, even though they have increased their sodium and carbs around their workouts. They're wondering what the issue is. And I know you don't, you need probably more information, like what actually is their diet? What kind of workouts are they doing? But in general, because I've said this before too, I'm like, I don't get it. Like I go to the gym, I don't feel like, I guess there's like blood flow, I guess. Like, am I getting a pump? I don't know. What could be some issues for people who are going in there trying to work on that and they're not
0: getting it? Interesting. All right. First thing that comes to mind is hydration. Maybe he's addressing that with sodium and carbohydrate. So first thing, hydration. So that's sodium and minerals. So you got to make sure you're getting minerals. Second so thing comes to mind is carbohydrate. Making sure you're getting enough in and around the right, right time. Third thing that comes to mind is I was going to say like uh, yeah. When you I mean, were just eating
1: like keto, were you, you able to get a pump in the gym?
0: No, not really. Like yeah really. So, it's very typical, right? Your glycogen levels are low. So, here's the maybe separation is people have an ambiguous definition of a pump sometimes, right? So a pump could mean like the engorging with blood. Sometimes pump people think is, hey, I've got some lactic acid accumulating. So this person could be engorged with blood, but not accumulating lactic acid. The lactic acid is a byproduct of the energy system that that you're training in, right? So if I'm training in the glycolytic system, meaning I'm in an anaerobic state, so I'm likely breathing heavy, my body produces more Lactic acid or hydrogen ions, which gives me this burning feeling. So it could just be the type of training that they are subjecting themselves to. Like you kind of alluded to, there is if they're not getting into this place where their body's in an oxygen debt or an oxygen deficit, where they have to start you know breathing heavy during the set, maybe they're not accumulating enough. Oxygen deficit to produce lactic acid or produce hydrogen ions. That's one option. Carbohydrates have to be there in abundance to be able to produce those, those hydrogen ions. And maybe it's I'm going down the path of like nitrogen retention. So maybe it's a nitrogen thing. So maybe they're not having enough nitrogen-rich foods. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're very very hypocapnic, which is like low CO2. I mean, there's a bunch of things that it could be. So here's some to try. That's really interesting to experiment with. Is, you know, I just did that course with Patrick McEwen on the oxygen advantage. He's been on the podcast and talking about how to increase nitric oxide in your lungs and in your blood through breath holds. And experimenting with that is really interesting as far as getting the blood vessels to dilate and maybe produce more nitric oxide. So, doing five to 10 second breath holds before sets. So you'll do three or four, you know, slightly extended breath holds. And then when you're done holding your breath, you inhale through your nose. So apparently when you're holding your breath, there's an accumulation of nitric oxide in your nasal cavity. You inhale that dilute your bronchioles, improves your ability to breathe, improves your ability to exchange oxygen with the environment and thereby hopefully improves oxygen delivery, nitric oxide delivery to the tissues. Interesting. That's probably more complicated than anyone wants to hear, but here's here's what The long and short of it is. That's why they come to you,
1: Ben, for the intense complicated complicated (laughs) answers. There's there's simplicity and complication of these podcasts.
0: Sometimes Again, here's the answer. Try holding your breath, right? Exhale your air, hold your breath. When you're done holding your breath, when you feel the desire to to breathe, breathe back in through your nose, fill your lungs with that nitric oxide that's been accumulating in your nasal cavity, and then blow it out and then try to do a set. You may want to repeat that three or four times, but the more CO2 you can accumulate, the more nitric oxide you can accumulate, theoretically, the better your exercise will be. And again, if you want to learn more about that, podcast with Patrick McEwan was amazing. And so was this course. If anyone is interested in learning about how breathing is impacting your brain and your body, I highly suggest you go to oxygenadvantage.com and check out Patrick.
1: Okay. And we'll put a link to that podcast in the show notes too. Okay. I have another question that I'm really excited to ask you, and it may what? be another Ben and Ashley showdown, woo-woo versus skeptic, Mulder versus Scully here. But this came through on, actually, I think it came through social media. But it was from someone who is really interested in your neuroscience discussions and interviews. You've, you've done a few and you've got a couple more coming out. And that's obviously something that you're really interested in. And as a result of listening to some of these podcasts, this person was asking about your experience with or interest in working with hypnotists on performance and behavior change. So we know people have worked with hypnotists to like, I don't know, change their eating patterns or to quit smoking. Yeah. like that.
0: I have no idea. Like, and I'm not going to like, like you with the plant medicine situations. I have no idea. Like, I don't think I'm very suggestible. Mm-hmm. I think, I think my, my BS radar is too high. And I think there's a very high correlation with the level of suggestibility and actual probable outcome with a hypnotist so i would say i don't know if it's useful i'm not against it but i also think that i like, like i think there's maybe better ways to go about it but then again i don't know right like you talk about people who are who are psychics and, and hypnotists and stuff and i'm like i kind of put them in the same category right or wrong i don't know if it works maybe if there's something there and if you believe there's something there good for you i don't know
1: well, I mean, I feel like I kind of lump the plant medicine and the hypnotism thing into the same category in that it's something you just mentioned like if you are primed to believe that this is going to work for you, if your mind is open to it working, I think that it could. I mean, I agree with you. I don't think I don't think I could be hypnotized mostly because I'm just so skeptical about the idea. I don't think that even if it was possible, I'd let myself like I'd allow myself to sort of let go, to let that happen, but I've spoken to some really pragmatic, common sense people who have done this. And in clinical settings, like we're not talking about like you go to one of those like dinner theater things and someone tells you to cluck like a chicken. Like we're talking about people who sort of do this for a living and they're doing it for like addiction related reasons maybe or something like that. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of power in again, sort of opening your mind to something and allowing an external force to kind of make a change that you already sort of want, but you need that kind of outside push. But I don't know. I mean,
0: so my neuroscience, you know, the small amount of neuroscience that I know says that subconscious mind is always open to suggestion. Meaning even when you're conscious of it, it's still very suggestible. But what application right i don't know that what it would take to actually suggest something and, and that would take an immediate effect so here's an example my children are 6 and 7 years old i am always suggesting things to their unconscious mind that they don't know about right <laughs> there's always just little things that you say in conversation, you say in passing that I'm just literally like, I know right now their conscious mind is not taking it in, but I know their unconscious mind hears it. And I repeat it and I repeat it and I repeat it. Eventually it's part of the paradigm and you see that coming through. So that's, reality with adults too, right? And, and I think it's certainly possible. You know, we certainly have the ability to become suggestive to our subconscious mind when we're going into sleep or when we're waking up from sleep. That's when our subconscious mind is most suggestible. And maybe someone agree could reproduce that in hypnotism. But can you make something stick as a belief system in the subconscious mind in one session? I don't think so. Maybe. But I don't know.
1: Well, again, the same can be said for plant medicine, right? Which is why oftentimes people are going back year after year because there's work that's being done there and then oftentimes yeah, it's effective right. good work. But then you go back to sure. your real life and you go back to your maybe your old habits or your old friends or whatever it is that's you know causing the issue and then it comes back. So
0: yeah. I think it's different, Ash, because we know that plant medicine is, is causing a bit of a different response in the default mode network, right? Like this default patterning of neural firing that exists in your brain. So, you know, wake wake up in the morning, we think like us, like Ashley thinks like Ashley, Ashley, you know, dresses like Ashley. And, And it's been shown that in a relatively short amount of time, almost immediate, plant medicine can make your brain, can make the plastic changes in your brain, like drastic in a very short amount of time. So I think there's something to be said there for having the chemical you know, influence rather than something that's just a suggestive scenario.
1: Right. I mean, I do think maybe with anything, even super effective chemical changes, I do think that it's about sort of consistency of intention to, not to say like you have to do ayahuasca every three months for it to work, but for anything, if you're trying to make life changes, there's it's not going to happen in one like a light bulb moment or experience that happens overnight. Like maybe that will be a huge catalyst. Maybe it'll be a huge driving force, but whether you're into hypnotism or you're into meditation or you're into plant medicine or whatever, making change involves commitment and it involves actually really caring about making that change and not just paying lip service to it.
0: Yeah. So I want to, I want to go off on a little bit of a rant here. I had some, uh, you know, I sometimes take notes when I'm traveling and you know, I think people have made some comments about my rants in the past. This is a bit short one. Ben's
1: rant of the day song here. Yeah, Editor's note. Right here.
0: Okay. Air fresheners. It's completely off topic, but I looked at my podcast notes and I was like, <laughs> for the love of God, people stop using air fresheners. Like I'm in, I'm in so many Ubers when I travel and I want everyone to tell the Uber driver to throw their air freshener into the trash. Not out the window because we love our earth, but out in the trash. If you haven't read Anthony J's book, Estrogeneration, Generation, please pick it up or please listen to the podcast I did with him. I've done two of them right now. I'm probably likely back on the muscle expert days. But oh my goodness, that stuff is destroying your brain. The neurotoxins are destroying your brain. Think about the path of these air fresheners. Anything that's got a scent is going into your blood and impacting your body in some way, right? So neurotoxins, we know air fresheners, please throw them away. The other thing is, in, in reference to that extension, is don't throw things out the window and, and I spent some time in Manchester, spent some time in Toronto, and to see the level of trash accumulation on the floor, fucking disgusts me. And it blows my mind how much. Like, and it's not just like oh, there's like a plastic bottle on the floor. It's like it looks like people dump their trash bins on the street, and it fucking blows my mind. It irritates the shit out of me. And I don't think the demographic of this podcast would people like that. But I want people to become more conscious of. Come on, man. Like take care of your home. Take care of your planet, man. It blows my mind. And like my kids and I go outside and we take a bag with us and we go for a walk and pick up bags and bags of trash. Just going on a walk. We basically do the same path all the time. It fucking blows my mind. God. And it hurts me to think how ignorant people are. And so that's why they came up with me is like, I don't know, man, I think we need to be so much more conscious and connected to the reality that this is our earth. And if you want it to exist for yourself and any other additional generations, Pay attention, and I hope for the sake of everyone listening that we come back and reincarnate in another body, so you can experience the, the nonsense that our current species is exposing our, our world to. Right? Like if we deserve—if we're not going to do something about it, we all deserve to come back and suffer through it. Because, fuck, it's just crazy, man. If, I think if I see somebody throw something out their window, I'm going to punch them in the face. Like I get so angry about it. And there's not very many things that make me that angry, but to see people just desecrating the earth is. I mean, I wanted to take pictures and post it, and maybe I should, but crazy, man. Crazy. You do not not
1: litter, especially in Tampa or Toronto, because a large man might take down the street. (laughs) No, that's a a valid rant. I mean, I, I think and I know that it's hard not to sound judgmental. And maybe sometimes you just have to sound judgmental when things are stupid and bad for the planet and bad for people. But when I think about things like air fresheners and like certain other kind of products that are maybe extraneous, like plastic based products, and I just think about the sheer amount of volume of waste and of money that goes into creating things that are across the board useless, like something like air freshener. I'm like, think about the money and the resources that could go to like anything else that's better for the planet. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I think about it. I'm like, look at how much space these things take up in the stores. Look at like the factories that are being utilized to make these things and look at the money that's being put into it that could go to something else. And it's like air fresheners are gross and the worst full stop, yet they exist. Like it just, yeah, it's rant worthy.
0: I had another really interesting conversation with somebody while away about like perfumes and scented lotions and soaps and stuff, and it's, it's something I kind of you know, was my realization that I'd never thought of before. You know, let's say a, a female is spraying herself with these really nice, exotic, even if they're natural scents, and a man starts to associate that with sexual arousal. You know, is that? A good thing or a bad thing, right? So you start looking at, okay, now maybe I need these scents to be attracted to a female scent. And when a woman doesn't smell like that, you know, she she has a natural odor. Oh, maybe I'm not so attracted to her anymore. So it's almost like this idea of you know, and this may be an extreme correlation, but like pornography, right? So you're looking at porn and you're like, hey. This is, you know, extreme sexual activities and you know, what no judgment against porn, what it is, what it is, but this is extreme sexual activity. I'm going to almost desensitize myself to the pleasures of conventional sex by looking at these extreme, you know, whatever activities. And the same thing with both odors and perfumes, right? If, if I have a, a female and I'm so attracted to her fake smells when I smell her natural odor, all of a sudden I almost become turned off by it or it's not good doing the same thing for arousal. There's something to be considered there, right? Like in, in a relationship with your spouse, like maybe learning to become attracted to their natural pheromones or natural odors and not being addicted to the necessity of them smelling like an Estee Lauder you know, perfume mm-hmm. counter. It's really and I never thought that before and I don't know if it has Anyone hasn't, if you have any perspective on that, but it's certainly worth considering.
1: It is an interesting topic. And I agree with you. I mean, we tend to over-accentuate a lot of things in North American culture. Like you mentioned, scent, and you've got like axe body spray to throw the men under the bus, too. And you've got, but you've sure. got things like over-exaggerated makeup and fake eyelashes and fake you know, we've got like butt implants and all of these kinds of things that are. Super over exaggerated, like sexual symbols. And it's really interesting because I actually was just listening to a podcast about sex, and they were talking about how. And this is obviously a deeper, bigger conversation, but different countries have different sexual culture and feelings towards sex in general, right? And some of us are a little bit more conservative or less or more open or more whatever. You look at European countries, which generally tend to be a lot more sort of open, at least to discussing things and less sort of buttoned up about people's bodies. All the beaches are like nude beaches and so on. But they talked about specifically with regard to porn that countries and cultures that are less, I guess, I'm trying to find the best word for it, but more... Open to talking about sex, there's less shame around sex, there's less sort of hang ups around sex in general. Their porn tends to be more reflective of the kind of sex that the people are actually having. Whereas in countries where we tend to have a lot more maybe religion or just cultural based shame around sex and enjoying it and what we like and what we're into, we tend to have much more exaggerated, cartoonish porn. So you look at, you know, typical, stereotypical sort of North American porn which is just like big fake boobs and like giant dicks and like just kind of ridiculous over the top sort of sexual performances that aren't really what people are doing in real life most of the time it's because we are trying to look at something that doesn't connect to us, which will make us feel shame. So we're looking at this thing that just looks ridiculous. It's like a Michael Bay movie of porn that's just so over the top. We don't really connect to it. It's kind of interesting and like fun to look at, but we don't have to think like, oh, this actually looks like me. This is what I'm doing. And people feel shame as a result of that because people feel shame about sex. So anyway, big, long, deep conversation. But I mean, I think that's actually a really interesting thing to consider and how the larger sort of culture things that are sort of put on us. And you know that really reflects in how we present ourselves to the world and how we think about ourselves as sexual beings. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah. And even how we articulate sexual interaction, right? So and again, porn perpetuates this, but like most men, at least in my experience, seem to have some desire to have this dirty talk with females and females like it too. And, and there's this interesting fine line that exists where like you know, there's always like, oh, you're being dirty, you're being bad, you're being, you you're making all these these allusions to this being in some way a negative thing, mm-hmm. or you know, but I'm like, whoa, but wait, hold on, is it like, is it supposed to be that way? And I guess you know, there's some arousal that happens from that because it's this taboo scenario, like, hey, you should not supposed to be this way, like bad schoolgirl kind of thing. Right. But should it be that way? Shouldn't it just be this beautiful engagement of like you're fucking awesome. I'm fucking awesome. We're making each other feel fucking awesome together rather than like, you're doing something really bad. Like, like I, I don't know. I'm still wrapping my head around that. I'd love for, to have a sex expert on to talk about mm-hmm. this. But like, I, I think it's just like, it's just pleasure, right? It's just like, hey, you're, you are you want to feel good. I want to feel good. Let's, let's do whatever it takes to feel good. It doesn't have to be this, I'm going to degrade you and make you feel like less of a person or make you feel like you're doing something wrong because Again, like I said, not an expert, just my opinion, but it's an interesting paradigm that we've created around sex and what actually is necessary to cause arousal.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. It's so interesting. But it is anyway, a this-
1: fascinating topic. I think I have a couple of sex experts, experts that I can recommend to you that you should get on the podcast. And maybe we can talk about that in the future because I think already this is an amazing conversation. It could go on for a long time. and You don't have to be a sex expert, right? Because we're all kind of experts in our own world when it comes to sex, right? If you're having sex, like you're your own expert and it's up to you to sort of talk about these things and learn about it. And I think ultimately having less personal shame about whatever it is you're into or whatever you want to do is the way forward and how we kind of explore that is what's important. Yeah. I love all of the places that this podcast went today. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but, right? I didn't see yes, it. I didn't see it going this I'm way. Sure it, this is, oh, this is the Muscle Maven podcast. That's isn't it? This is why not the we're talking podcast. about. That's day. why we're talking about
1: sex. Yeah. I get it. Blame me for it. That's cool, man. Yeah.
0: So I want to wrap up with one thought that also is in my podcast notes. Is I want everyone listening to you know we're all we're all striving to live our greatest life, right? We're all try, striving to upgrade our life in some way, whatever it is for you, whether it be body, mind, relationships, finances, whatever it is. And the thing that I really got thinking about very, very recently was your beliefs, right? What are your beliefs? And I, t- I think I've talked about this in a podcast in the past, where you know the beliefs that you have right now are not, in fact, your own. Right? People believe that oh, I believe in this and I believe in this and bullshit. Right? Everything you've done into your life to this point, for most of us, until you become very conscious of your beliefs, has been an attempt to accept or to be accepted in society, to receive love or to be accepted within your community from the time you're a child. You know, the belief systems you have, or the things that you like, or the things that you wear, or the words that you choose are not by your own choosing. They're by your attempt to receive acceptance, love into this community. And I think that's important for people to realize. So, you know, everything from the clothes you wear to the way you wear your hair to the food you eat is most often for most of us not our own conscious choice. It's You know, imparted on us by people before us or society's norms or, hey, why do you wear the clothes you wear? Well, because that's what I see in a magazine that looks nice and that's what the trend is right now. And so point being, I want people to start and I've been doing this with myself is start asking yourself with everything that you think you believe, where did it come from? You know is it a real belief or is it a story? And I want you to challenge that concept, right? It's like, what is this that I actually believe, and why do I believe this? And you know and the reason I think this is important is because beliefs create expectations, and when you have expectations in a relationship, whether it be a personal relationship or a business relationship or a new encounter, my expectations on you determine how the relationship's going to go. If you don't meet my expectations, you and I are going to be friends. I'm not going to be happy with you. There's going to be some type of disconnect. But if I go into a relationship and I don't have any beliefs about who you should be or who you are or anything like that, I just go in there and and perceive. I just go in there and Allow you to reveal yourself to me, and I place no judgment on the conversation, no judgment on on you. I just accept you for who you are with no belief, with no expectations. I think it opens us up to much more powerful relationships, right? I think we are then allowed to see someone for who they are, not for what they wear or what they bring to the table or how much money they have. It's just, hey, this is who this human being is. Beliefs aside, I have no beliefs about, you know, what your religion means you are, or the pants you wear are, or anything, right? So, you know, what is it? And people have these beliefs around. I am not a morning person. I'm not a good reader. I'm not a good cook. I'm not a good eater. You know, I'm I'm not very good at building muscle. I'm not very good at losing fat. It's a very interesting paradigm around the belief system that I want to be able to explore more, Ash. And maybe the next time you and know, I can continue that conversation around, you know, this what I am, my, my beliefs around who I am versus the reality. And, you know, if I have a belief around me not being able to do something, all of a sudden I'm a victim, right? All of a sudden I'm taking on this victim mentality and I'm a victim to the scenario. I'm a victim to my life. And I think everyone should start to question your beliefs, challenge them, take complete ownership for your life and never, ever, ever be a victim.
1: I love that. Well, we could talk about that more. You could probably make a book about that, Ben. Something to think about.
0: I think, I think Added it's it to the list. <laughs> There's probably people out there that have written that book and have done a much better job than me. This is just my, my meditation of the day, questioning your beliefs meditation.
1: I appreciate it as always.
0: And that's a wrap for today. Ash, you're awesome. I and that. I think you should tell people why they should follow you or where they should follow you on social media. You
1: should follow me on Instagram at The Muscle Maven. I'm posting lots of pictures of delicious organ meats, and fun trips that I'm going on and hilarious conversations about porn that I get to have with Ben Pakulski. So (laughs) lots of great information there. And I also have a website, ashleyvanhouten.com. I have a weekly newsletter with all kinds of great information. You can sign up there and you can always send me a DM and try to get me to ask a question on an upcoming Q&A. Who knows?
0: Do it. I think we should. I think we should ask you questions because I'm curious about your life and I don't get to pick your brain as much as I should. Next week. either, Either we need to extend the time on these things or we need to just start off and go, hey, I'm going to ask Ashley questions because there's definitely a lot of things that I'd be very curious to hear your perspective on. And I know I rant a lot and don't get a lot of time to dig into yours. So I think we're going to turn the tables of these days. I love it. I can't wait. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode.